You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. God's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to be saved. God not only wants all mankind to be saved, He's made a way for all mankind to be saved. And mankind that is not saved, if you are not going to go to heaven, it's because you didn't exercise your will when God called and say yes. Because God wants you to be saved. To the outside world, it can appear that God is simply full of vengeance and enjoys punishing the enemies of His people. However, as Pastor Danny teaches today, God longs for everyone to be saved. He desperately wants all to believe. He wants people saved so much that He made a way for everyone to be saved. His Son dying in your place. He grieves when even one person rejects Him. No matter your sin, you can be saved. It isn't won or secured by your choices or good works. It's only by the grace and mercy of God. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Romans chapter 9 as he continues his message, God's earnest desire for everyone to be saved. God didn't love Esau. It's I've chosen Jacob and I've rejected Esau. Now, that was unnatural in that culture because they're twins, but technically Esau comes out first. Jacob gets his name because he's grabbing his brother's heel. His name means heel grabber. He's trying to get first, you know, but he didn't. Esau got out first. And in that culture, Esau would get the blessing of the firstborn. He'd get the double inheritance, etc. But God said before they were born, We're going to switch things. And rather than Esau get the blessing, Jacob's going to get the blessing. Before they were born, God said, I've chosen Jacob, but I've rejected Esau. Now, at this point, some might go, I don't know if I like this God of the Bible. But here's point number three. God's sovereign choice, Jacob versus Esau, is not based on natural birth. Again, driving the point home. But here it gets a little deeper. It's a little deeper doctrinally. It's a little deeper theologically. Now it's like, well, that kind of bothers me that God said, I chose Jacob, but I rejected Esau. That doesn't sound fair. Before they were born. But let's get to point four. Verse 14, what then shall we say? Is God unjust because he chose Jacob and rejected Esau? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. In other words, God's saying, I'll do what I want to do. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. Salvation is not dependent on human desire or effort, but upon God's mercy. That's point number four. That's exactly what we just read. That's what God's saying. 
without a doubt, the toughest part of the text. And when we get into this section, this section of Scripture has produced two camps of thought in the church of Jesus Christ. I'm talking about people who love Jesus, believe in the same Jesus, believe in the same Bible. And if you don't know either one, you're actually probably more blessed. But I need to tell you, for the sake of what God has to say, there is a group called Calvinist. And opposed to the Calvinists, there's a group in the church called Arminianists, and they get their name from the two guys that started both schools of thought. In Christian college, they told us we remember Calvinism and the five points of Calvinism by the heading TULIP, T-U-L-I-P. And here's what it stands for. Number one, total depravity. You're a sinner and you need a savior. Number two, unconditional election. What does that mean? If God's chosen you to be saved, you're going to be saved and you don't have any choice in it. If God's told God, God chosen you not to be saved, you're not going to be saved and you don't have a choice in it. It's unconditional. It's sovereignty of God, period. Point number three, limited atonement. And because they believe some are chosen and some are not, that Jesus, his sacrifice and his death on the cross and his shedding of the blood was for the elect, not for those he didn't choose. That's what Calvinists teach. Point number four, irresistible grace. It's driving home the unconditional election. Irresistible grace. If you're going to be saved, if you're chosen to be saved, even you might not say, I don't want to be saved. I want to go with my friends to hell. Well, you can't because God's chosen you. You can't resist that. You're going to be saved. It's guaranteed. But if you haven't been chosen, it doesn't matter how much desire you have to go to heaven. doesn't matter what you do. You, you ain't going to make it because God didn't choose you. And then number five, perseverance of the saints, but they're talking about the elect, those, those that God's chosen. And it goes like this. Once you are saved, you can never, ever lose your salvation. You are you're going to make it no matter what. <laughs> now, I realize some people are Calvinists under my pastoral ministry, and I might have, they might sit with you and say, you know, he just kind of was sarcastic on some of those and, and maybe didn't explain it the way it should be explained. I, 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 I received that. But let me give you the five points of Arminianism. Five points of Arminianism. Number one, free will. You choose. Salvation or re rejected. Number two, conditional election based on your choice. Number three, universal redemption. Even though everybody's not going to be saved, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was sufficient for everybody to be saved, even though everybody's not going to be saved. Number four, grace and the Holy Spirit can be resisted. You can resist the Holy Spirit. You can say no to God. And number five, and this is a big one because this is this is the antithesis of the Calvinist belief. Number five is you can lose your salvation. And before you get off in a tither, no matter which side you're leaning toward, all right, all right, let me, how in the world in the church of Jesus Christ with the same Bible and the same Messiah, how in the world can we have two schools of thought that on some points are so opposed? one another. I'll give you the simple answer. 
because there are points in Scripture to support both arguments. There are verses you can turn to. You turn to John 15. Jesus said, you remain in me, I'll remain in you. You don't remain in me, you're going to be like a stick that's snatched, pulled away from the, the, the tree, and you're going to be thrown into the fire. Whoop. You read verses at the end of James, and it sounds like, it sounds like, wow, if I'm not careful, I may lose my salvation. And then you go to other scriptures, and Jesus said, no, no, if you're in me, I'm in my Father, and nobody can snatch me out of the Father's hand, and you're in my hand, so nobody can snatch you out of my hand. You're secure. And there are verses. That's, how we, that's why we have two camps, doctrinally. That's, how we have, that's why we have fighting over it, too, and it's crazy. Wrong. You say, what are you, pastor? I'm neither. You say, that's a cop-out. I'm telling you. I'm, I'm going to make a statement, and I want you, I, you can't see into my heart, but in my pastoral ministry, I've never wanted anybody be, to be in the Arminianist camp, and I don't want anybody to be in the Calvinist camp. I think both of them have wrong statements in terms of their doctrine. I think they're both wrong. That doesn't mean that Calvary Chapel as a movement has all the right answers. I'm not saying I know everything. We see in the glass darkly. But I still don't retract the statement that I don't want you to be an Calvinist. I don't want you to be an Arminianist either. I want you to be biblical. Everybody would say that. And the Calvinists say, well, we're biblical. And the Arminianists say, we're biblical. But look, <sighs> if it's bothering you now, where do you get to point five? Let's get to point five. If you're bothered now, we ain't there yet. Let's, let's go to something that really bothers you. Verse 17, look at verse 17. For Scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God is mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. That sounds arrogant. <laughs> verse 19, one of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? That is, if we don't have a choice, why does God still blame us? For who is able to resist his will? And here's the answer back from God. Through the Apostle Paul, right here, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Uh, that's a kind way of saying, shut up. Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it? Why would you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? Now, you get to this juicy part, and it really does sound like God is not really fair, that he shows favoritism. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated, and some predestined to heaven and some predestined to hell. If you think that's what God's saying, you stay awake. Point number five is simply this. God is sovereign, yet he does not violate man's free will. And it's fascinating how the two work together. Pharaoh hardened his heart, and if you read the story, God also hardened Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. God hardened his heart. Romans chapter 1, for those who rejected the knowledge of God, God said there came a point. He said, okay, if that's what you want, he gave them over. God is sovereign, but he doesn't violate man's free will. So if you're tempted to blame God, thinking he, he does wrong, <laughs> think twice. 
and keep your mouth shut. Is that not what the text just said? That's what it said. Who are you to talk back to God? But again, if you're questioning God's character, mm -mm, we're not done yet. If we could read all the chapters and study them together, the end of this section, which I told you is all connected, chapter 11 ends this way, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his past beyond tracing out. And now point number six. Romans chapter 9. <laughs> Verse 22, What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction, people headed for hell. What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? Even us, whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. As he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people. And I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. In other words, an amazing change is going to happen in lives of people who don't deserve it. <laughs> I love this one. The objects of God's mercy and salvation are completely undeserving, and they know it. Jesus, on another occasion, said to the religious people that were not receiving him, were not coming and confessing their sins and looking to Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior, and he said to them, the people that are coming, the prostitutes, Tax collectors, which were, I mean, looked down upon by the religious community in that culture. All the people that everybody knew were sinners. Those are the guys that are coming. Those are the, those are the people that are coming. Because they knew they had a need. They knew they needed a Savior. They knew their problem. Saul of Tarsus, who the Apostle Paul, God using him to pen the very words we're speaking and teaching here. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, and he writes in Philippians, and he says, in regard to legalistic righteousness, I was faultless. If you looked at Saul of Tarsus in that day, you'd have said, if anybody's going to heaven, this guy's going to heaven. He wasn't going to heaven. And after he did finally get saved, he would write in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, this is a true statement. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. You haven't come to a place you've really seen your sin and cried out to God in need of a Savior. That's a, listen, everybody who's really saved knows they needed a Savior. Verse 27, Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Now we're back to the people that are so spiritually privileged. Though the number of the Israelites be like the sand by the sea, only the remnant will be saved, despite their spiritual privilege. For the Lord will carry out his sentence on earth with speed and finality. Judgment's coming. It is just as Isaiah said previously, unless the Lord Almighty had left us descendants, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been like Gomorrah. This is the spiritually privileged people. Here's the final point. Sometimes the most spiritually privileged people are the least likely to be saved. 
Easiest people to lead to Christ are not church people. Easiest people to lead to Christ are down here selling their bodies for a little bit of money. You don't have to convince them they have a problem. <laughs> they know they have a problem. Now the finale. Verse 30. What then shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained the goal. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, see, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. The one who believes in him will never be put to shame. There are a lot of religious people in hell. I didn't say that. I'm telling you what the Bible teaches. Even the very text we're studying. And here's the summary. All right, come on, stay with me. I've thought deeply about those seven points, and here's the summary. Salvation has nothing to do with your human heritage or the degree of one's religious privilege or knowledge. It is not secured through religious desire or even zeal. It is also not limited by the depth of one's sin. Salvation is completely by grace through faith in Christ, based solely upon the mercy of God. That is the summary. Hallelujah. That's the truth. And if you're still bothered by some of the text, and if you're still wondering about Calvinism versus Arminianism and God's fairness and God's choice before the twins were born, etc., 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 Pharaoh, <laughs> never, ever take a section of Scripture and take it out of context. You put it in the context of the whole Bible. And if you'll put it in context, and if you'll continue to put it in context, guess what you'll have? Guess what you'll end up with? You may not understand everything, and we won't understand everything until we see Jesus. But you'll have enough truth that you won't blame God needlessly, and you won't go foolishly into some territory that is not biblical. And here's the very clear truth. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. God's choice and salvation were chosen according to his foreknowledge. Not chosen because he liked you more than somebody else. Not chosen because of your race. Not chosen because you're, you're Jewish and you're not, or you're Gentile or whatever. You know, no. Listen, the Bible says God shows no favoritism. You, who wants to serve a God? Who wants to serve a God that his nature is? He chooses one and he says no to another one. Really? No. He chooses Based on his foreknowledge, he saw before the beginning of time the heart of Esau. And if you read the story, Esau despised his spiritual birthright. And for his own fleshly appetite, said no to God. And Jacob, he's still no better in terms of his nature, but he finally listened. And you find that he came to a place where his heart was changed and God was able to then mold and shape him and he's still imperfect. But the difference between the two is the difference in their heart. And one's heart was changed. 
and one's heart was not changed. And God saw it before the beginning of time. And he chose Jacob based on his foreknowledge. And he rejected Esau based on his foreknowledge. And that's the truth. That's the truth. There is no verse in the Bible that says some people are predestined to hell and some people are predestined to heaven. It's not there. It's not there. That's not the truth. You're predestined if you have been chosen based on God's foreknowledge. Based on God's foreknowledge, then he predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son. And he can't conform somebody to the image of son, his son that hasn't been born again. And he chose you based on his foreknowledge. And now he said, here's the plan I have for you. I'm going to make you like my son, Jesus Christ. And you're not going to be completely like Jesus Christ until you see him face to face one day. And thank God one day we'll see him face to face. I pray it's today. The Bible does not teach that one is predestined to heaven and one is predestined to hell. And if that offends you because you're a Calvinist, then I stand on that statement. And I love you. I love you but I'll go toe-to-toe with you from the Bible on teaching people that some are predestined to heaven and some are predestined to hell. That is not the truth. That is not the truth. You're chosen based on God's foreknowledge. You're predestined to be conformed to the image of his son because you've said yes. Revelation chapter 22, here's how it says that whosoever will, let him take the free gifts of the water of life. If you believe that some don't have a choice, then you have to take out the whosoever. You have to say, no, the elect. You'd have to put the elect there based on your belief that some are chosen and some are rejected and they don't have a choice in it. No, whosoever, whosoever will. God doesn't violate man's free will. Whosoever will, let him come. If you go to hell, and I pray you don't, but if you end up in a Christless eternity, it is nobody's fault but your own. It is your fault. Because you didn't say yes. Whosoever will, let him take the free gift of the water of life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen? You say, are you done yet? Almost. Peter writes and he says, God's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to be saved. God not only wants all mankind to be saved, he's made a way for all mankind to be saved. And mankind that is not saved, if you are not going to go to heaven, it's because you didn't exercise your will when God called and say yes. Because God wants you to be saved. Bow with me. God speaking to you. If you've never repented, it means to turn and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. There's only one way to heaven. And that's through Jesus. He's the only Savior. He's the only Savior. God may be speaking to some people and you've grown up in the church. Maybe some people, even your own wife or husband, thinks you're saved. But you realize today you're not. You're not. You've never really been born again. You've never really been born again. 
but you can be right now. Thanks for joining us today to study the Book of Romans on the Living Word. You can check out more of Pastor Danny's teachings by visiting ccfstpete.church. Once you're there, just look under the Resources tab and click on Teachings. We'd also like to encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on the latest videos. If you have any questions or would simply like to talk with us, please send us an email. Our address is info at ccfstpete.church. Again, that email address is info at ccfstpete.church. Be sure to let us know how we can be praying for you when you send us that email. In addition to that, we'd love to meet you in person. So if you're ever in the St. Petersburg area, feel free to join us for our weekly services at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. Check out our website for service times and all the information you need to join us. We're also live streaming our services for those who are unable to meet in person. So please don't let distance stop you from worshiping with us. Find out more on our website. Once again, that's ccfstpete.church. That's all the time we have for today, but we hope that today's teaching from the Book of Romans has encouraged you. Be sure to join Pastor Danny Hodges next time, right here on The Living Word.